0: I do want to tell you this, uh, this. I'm going to tell you this story, and I will readily admit it was not one of my finer moments. Okay? Um, I, uh, I usually go to the gym pretty early in the morning, and then I come back and get ready and then take out to school. Um, and so that morning, uh, Carrie had called me um, while I was at the gym and said, could you stop at Publix on the way home and pick up uh, this medicine for Mia? And I said, sure. So... Um, I get to Publix. It's about 7 a.m., like right when they open. And um, I'm, you understand, I'm like dripping in sweat. I hadn't really shaved all week, so I looked homeless. Um, and uh, I'm on the phone with Carrie because I had already forgotten what it is that I was supposed to pick up. And so I, I get there, and um, I, I, says, I see a girl at the pharmacy, and I say, Hey, can you tell me where this is, whatever the medicine was? And she says, Hey, aren't you Pastor Bob? And I said, um, Yes, I am. Could you tell me where that medicine is? And uh, and at that moment, like my wife, who hears this whole exchange, she says, Robert Alexander Franquist, Do you think you could be any ruder? And I said, I wasn't rude. She asked me who I was. I said yes. Then I asked her the question again. She, you know, and she's like, you know, what is your anyway? So then uh, and then I kind of thought back and I realized, like, yeah, I, I really wasn't being very nice. So we had this whole conversation. It's like, Bob, you've got to be nice to people. And I'm like, normally I'm very nice. I'm not one of the nicest people I know. And uh, and and so so I just made a decision. I said, I'm going to be nice, but I'm not just going to be nice. I'm going to be over the top nice. So this was like, I think a, it was a Tuesday or Wednesday. And then that Thursday, we left to go to Disney on, on vacation. So And there, there's this thing at Epcot um, while we were there. They're doing this meet and greet with the characters. Mia's really into this, like meeting the characters and all that now. And uh, so uh, they're, they're doing this thing. You, you, just, you just get in one line and then you can meet Mickey, Minnie, uh, Goofy, Pluto and Donald all like in these little stations. But you don't have to wait like in five different lines. So um, I get there and we're sitting in line and they say it's going to be about, you know, 34. I think it's about 45 minutes. So we're standing in line there. And then this couple behind us asks me a question. And I think this is my moment. So I turn around and I answer the 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 the, I answer their question and I proceed to talk to them for the next thirty minutes straight. I will not leave them alone. I ask them every possible question I could think of. I mean, you name it, like where are you from? Have you been to Disney before? How many Disney movies have you seen? How many characters can you recite? Do you speak Hebrew? I mean, anything I could think of. Anything I could think of. Anything I could think of. You know, and uh, and so I just go. And so I'm like talking to these people. And Carrie's like, well, you know, I guess I'll move on. I'm like, well, hold on, Carrie. I just have a couple more things I want to add. Um, and so I'm, I'm talking to them. And then I turn the, you know, how the line kind of goes. like It's kind of a zigzag. So we kind of come around. And then these people come around. And then someone says, Pastor Bob. And I'm like, what's up? and then i do, and i'm like hugging people high-fiving and then i'm you know so we're talking about stuff and and then my son wakes up from his nap he's in the stroller and he starts fussing i ignore him because i'm talking and uh and i and i'm really hamming it up so then carrie's like i guess i'm gonna take care of him so she gets him and she says well I'm going to go ahead. I'll just sit over here with him and uh, and I'm like you don't you sit, don't worry about it I got this handled. And so anyway, I proceed uh, then the the people that that I knew from church, they kind of went to their um that they had their like character experience. I'm still talking to the people that I was there. I get in line like we're meeting each character. I'm still talking to them. I mean, I'm thinking they're probably thinking like who is this weirdo? But I'm like, you know, so I get through this whole thing and um I get to the end and then um and then as I'm leaving, I turn around and I'm like, hey, I just want you to know it was awesome meeting you up top. You know, so I'm doing this thing. And uh, and then I walk out and I tell Carrie, I'm like, I'm pretty friendly, aren't I? And she's like, oh, yeah, you are. And she says, and I just want you to know I'm giving you permission permission to throttle that back a bit. And, uh, and I said, yeah, that's fine. Uh, I'll be back to my old self. And uh, but this is the thing I this is the reason I tell you the story is that um Change is like the weirdest thing because I don't know anybody I I really I don't know anyone that like looks at their life and says, you know There's nothing I want to change Like I love the way I look I love everything about my job Love everything about there's nothing I would change. I know everything I want to know Don't need any more information. I mean everything is perfect No, I've never met anyone like every every all of us. If we were to go one by one, we say, well, maybe I'm really happy with how things are going. But there is this one thing I'd like to change. Everybody has something that they'd want to change, something they'd want to improve on, something they said, I'd want to start doing this, but stop doing that. I'd love to change this, tweak that, throttle this back, really ramp that up, do something to kind of just change and improve. But here's the weird thing about change is that everybody wants to change, but few people actually do. Right. We all like right towards the new year, we start making resolutions. And then by March, the things that we wrote down or said that we were going to change, we haven't done. And they just annoy us. You ever have that? Like you say, you know, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym every day. And then you go like twice. And then it's like you won't even go down the street that the gym is on because you're like, oh, yeah, come on. You know, you just you just have this weird feeling. I had this happen to me um, a, a few years ago. Uh, I a few years ago, I bought a journal. Because I just felt like it was an important thing. Because, you know, like all of these, you know, uh, like great writers and, and people, they all journaled. And I thought, you know, I should probably journal. So then like 10 years from now, I could come out and a teaching and be like, I want to share something with you. Then I wrote in one of my journals, one of my. One of the annals of my life. I want to speak to you about this, this passage. Anyway, I just thought it would be a very like sophisticated thing to do. Anyway, I wrote in it for like a day and then I got bored. And then, you know, and and so and so so then that was that. And then like the next year came around and I said, uh, you know, I should really get back to that journaling. But I didn't want to use the old journal because I was like, oh, that's awkward. So I bought a new journal and I actually bought like a more expensive journal. Um, even though like the pages are the same, I really don't understand the price fluctuation on these. Um, so, but then I, and and then I did, it was like, you know, I wrote in like two pages. So the next year I did the same thing. I mean, this is kind of like a trend in my life. I just like buy journals, you know? And so I, I, it's like the third year I do this for like five years in a row, only buying journals and using like the first two pages. And then my wife is like, Hey, can I use that journal for something? Whoa. No, this is serious stuff. This is going to get published someday. you know what, what publishes what blank pages I'm like now you're mocking you know anyway, so so I do this whole thing. I go all like five years, then I just get mad one day because I every time I see the journal, I feel guilty that I don't write in the journal, and then I go to write in the journal, and then I have nothing to write, and that's the weirdest part. like things are okay, moving on, you know um. So I get so one day I get so mad I get all the journals and I throw them away. And uh and, and because the thing is and I felt so much better, I don't know why, but because every time I went after that, you know, uh, I thought it was going to make me feel better, but then after that, I, every time I went to Barnes and Noble, you know, they have all the journals like right in the front, I'd get like a twitch every time I'd walk in. I'm like what is this? You know, it's like I see the journal and I start to freak out. And uh, now here's the reason that I, I bring this up is because the writer of the epistle that we're going to look at today, the writer of the letter, this postcard of a book of the Bible that we're going to look at is a guy that's known as the apostle of love. I want you to think about that. The guy that's like, you know, he essentially wrote the book on love. The guy that like embodied love was the picture of love um, is, is the apostle John. But if you but that was kind of later in life. If you had met the Apostle John earlier in his life, you wouldn't have... You know, love is probably not the first word that would have come to you when, you when you thought of it because he wasn't the most loving guy in the world. I mean, I personally look at him and it's like, this guy's kind of like teetering on lunacy. Um, and here's the reason why. Let me read you a passage out of Luke chapter 9. This is kind of tells you the, the you know who these guys are, him and his brother. Uh, this is what it says. As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken to heaven... Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went to a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Then the disciples, uh, the disciples, James and John, saw this and said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. And that's how they end up getting the uh, nickname the Sons of Thunder. Now, I don't know about you. But I'm trying sure think about a guy who's one of the sons of thunder is probably not one of the guys that you think is going to be like this really loving and caring and gracious guy. And um, but I, I want you to think about that, that like the apostle of love wanted to torch the place, which I think is just kind of an odd thing. And, and he changed and he went from like, you know, a potential pyromaniac to this guy that's really marked by love and grace and, and all of these things. And, 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 and if John can change so radically, then here's the promise for you and I. That, that means that you and I uh, can change as well. The question is how? And here's why change is so hard many times. It's because we don't know what it looks like. You see, many times, here's what we'll do. Many times people will stay in bad relationships They'll stay in um, bad careers. They'll stay in bad situations, not because they like the situation that they're in. They dislike the situation that they're in, but they don't know what another situation looks or feels like or is like. And they say, well, I'd rather stay in a bad situation that I know than risk changing and it being worse than I thought. And that's why a picture of change is so powerful. And that's one of the things that we're going to look at uh, today in this epistle of third John, because what third John is, is it gives us a picture of what God does when he changes someone of what God does when he molds and shapes someone uh, in, into the image of Jesus. And uh, last week we started a series that we're called that we called postcards where we're taking the five smallest one chapter books of the Bible and we're just looking at it and just taking in everything that it has for us and applying it to our lives and and, and growing so much from it. But in this little postcard of an epistle of third John, you you can open there in your Bibles if you would. If you say third John, I have no idea where that is. If you go all the way to the end of your Bible in Revelation, hang a left, um, you'll get to uh, Revelation, then it's Jude, and then right after that is third John. And so what we're going to see is this elder statesman, this elder apostle, this elder in the faith, the guy who was once, you know, tearing on torturing a uh, torching a city is now this guy who's a dispenser of grace, a dispenser of love. So you want to know if you're growing, you want to know if you're changing, you want to say, man, I, I, I want to change, I want to grow. Listen, I want to give you three characteristics of people who are changing, of people who are growing and maybe some ways to do that as well. So we're going to start in third John chapter one, uh, chapter one, verse one. Here's what it says. The elder To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. For I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want you to note. And that is that a changed person. Here's what they do. The changed person commends the progress of others. They commend the progress of others. The first thing that John does is that he commends this guy Gaius for his faithfulness. Now, he uses a term of endearment in verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. Now, in the Jewish culture, rabbis use this term, my children. Uh, Greek philosophers use this. And even in the early church, pastors use this, um, referring to their students. Um, pastors used it of those who they had led to Christ and discipled and see them uh, growing in the faith. But John then said, obviously, it, it said, this Gaius is someone that John had led to Christ, now was serving in his local church, and it was a big deal for him to hear a commendation from John. So for John to open the letter and say, hey, here's the thing, I hear great things about you, and I want you to know that I'm proud of you. But can I tell you something? That's not where John started. When John started, he was anything but an encourager. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 9 again. Here's what it says. It says, Then a dispute arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him among them. And he said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, uh, me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. Now, John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he doesn't follow us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who was not against us is for us. I want you to think about this for a moment if you pause there. Um, Early on, John's greatest concern was not about encouraging people's progress. Um, Early on, it was about Who's going to be the greatest amongst the 12 of us, uh, amongst the disciples? So they're getting together and they come to him and they're having this argument. And, and and Jesus is like, what are you guys arguing about? And he's like, well, you know, we're trying to figure out which one of the 12 of us is really the best. You know, we did like a weightlifting competition and did a couple other things. And, you know, I mean, some of these guys, I mean, you know, nobody's putting their money on Judas. And uh, Thomas thinks he might. We all doubt it. And uh, and so we got all you know, everybody's got their thing. But, you know, I think. That I'm the guy. Then it was. Why is that? Well, you know, because there was this guy that I saw, and he was trying to cast out demons using your name, Jesus. But don't worry, I took care of it. I said you're not one of us. Oh, but I'm just. you got your membership card. No, then cut it out. I got you on notice. And anyway, so he's got this whole thing, and and Jesus is like, what? This guy's like not being problematic, you know, if the guy's not against us, he's for us. So just, you know, l- l- leave it alone. And, and the thing is this, is that John learns the power of encouragement. He learns the power of commending someone else. Because listen, if you think about the ch- changes that have happened in your life, the big leaps that you've taken from where you were to where you are, here's what I would I'd be willing to bet, is that there was someone somewhere who encouraged you Someone who shared a kind word with you. Someone who said they believed in you. And that made all the difference. Listen, um, your kids, if you're a parent here, your kids are looking for five words from you. You have what it takes. That's what they want to know. They want to know if they have what it takes. And when you come to them and you share that with them, that, hey, listen, I want to tell you something, that you have what it takes. It means everything. Because we live in in, in an encouragement depleted world. Most of what we see on TV, most of what we see on the radio is very sarcastic and stuff that just discourages us. But here's the thing is that that's why we naturally gravitate towards people that encourage us. Because all of us want to be encouraged by those that we love and respect the most. I mean, I had someone tell me this week that there's a guy that's like, uh, a mentor to me, you know. He's my pastor. He's uh, he's he's a guy that I mean, just I love him so much. And um, and I had a lunch with a friend this week, and he told me, uh, hey, I had had lunch with this guy that you care about so much, and he talked to me about you. I said, really? And he he proceeded to share all of these incredibly kind things that he said about me. I I was I almost started to cry. Uh, and I'm 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 sitting there at lunch, you know, and I'm like, you know, you know, it's like. This weird, I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that like sees a Hallmark commercial and cries. I'm, I'm not like that at all. But, you know, uh, you know, I'm having like a salad for lunch and I'm like, you know, yeah, what's that? You're all right. Like, yeah, yeah, I just got like pepper in my eyes. I'm all right. You know, and uh, and it's like this. Why? Because, you know, I'm t- I, I, and you know what happened? I'm telling you, I was like energized like the rest of that entire week because someone that I love and respect so much um, had love and respect for me. And I'm telling you, that's why this thing—you don't realize that what one word will do in the life of another person. If you just say, "Hey, you know what? I believe that you have what it takes." Um, my daughter is four. Some of you know that, and uh, she's doing such a great job reading. She just turned four, and uh, she has these um, these books that, like, you know, level one, level two, level three, like learning to read. And so she has uh, the like level one is like maybe two sentences per page. Level two is like maybe four or five sentences per page, but the other day, this is maybe a couple of weeks ago, she has several of the level one books. Well, she takes out the Rapunzel uh, level one book that she has, and uh, she says, "Sit, Poppy, I'm going to read this book to you." And so she read me the entire book, like you know, and then she turned the page, showed me the picture, and then she read it to me, and then she turned the page, showed me the picture, read it. I went crazy. When the whole thing was done, I mean, we had like a party in our house that Mia had read the whole book. I told her how proud I was of her. And then we got to the level two and she's still learning. But she read an entire one entire page of the book. I mean, she got all the and then she had one word that was she like, What is that me? And she sounded it out and she got it. And I mean, we went berserk. Jumping up and down on the furniture, you know, Carrie put the kibosh on that pretty soon, but, um, but, I mean, we were going crazy. I mean, it was awesome. And I told her how proud I was of her. And then, um, you know, she went to bed, um, and, and that night, and I told her how proud I was of her. The next morning, she wakes up, she runs around the house to try to find me. She finds me. And, uh, and she said, and she's got a book in her hand. And she says, Poppy, do you want me to read the book to you? And I'm like, absolutely. She read the book to me again. Got all the words right. We went crazy. And you know, and here's the thing: you go, you come to my house a lot of times. Mia's just sitting there reading a book because she's just experienced the power of encouragement, the power of commending someone on the progress that they made. And see, one of the marks of maturity is that we stop obsessing about ourselves and we start seeing ourselves as instruments in God's hand to bring encouragement and breathe life into other people. Listen, if you're here this morning and you say, man, I am going through such a difficult time and I really want things to change. Can I just encourage you? And one of the things that you might want to do is, is, is to come to a place like this and say, I, I, I really want to hear from God and receive from him. Absolutely. But I also here's what I want to do. I want to encourage someone else because, you know what, as bad as you have it, you know, somebody else always has it worse. And as you do, um, you know what you'll find? is that if you're going through a tough time and you decide to encourage someone else, they feel better. And and you tell them, hey, you know what? I know you're going through a tough time, but here's what I know. I know that God is good. I, I know that God loves you. And I know that if we stay close to Him, that He's going to see us through that. You know what's going to happen? You're going to encourage that person and you're going to start ministering to yourself because you say, I'm going to say that that's true and that's true for me as well. And you say, man, I was bummed out, but I started to encourage somebody else and you know what happened? Now I feel great. Why? Because that's what happens. You start commending the progress of others. You yourself begin to grow and change and develop into the person that God wants you to be. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said seven statements. One of the statements that he said was to John. He speaks to his mother and he says, Mother, behold your son. And then he says to to John, he says, Son, behold your mother. This is an incredible honor in this culture to be able to now. He's saying to him, hey, I can't, I'm not going to be able to take care of my mom when she's elderly, when she's aged. So here's what I'm doing. I'm turning that responsibility over to you. That was an incredible honor. That was that was saying so many things. But here's the thing that it was saying. It was saying the five words that everybody wants to hear. You have what it takes. And that's what he says to John. And he's and he's so filled by that, that this becomes a defining moment in his life that changes him to now be someone who encourages others. Look at what happens in verse five. He continues and he says, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth In his for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Now, here's the second thing that I want to tell you in your notes, and that is that a changed life generously gives to others. John points out to Gaius that he is sacrificially given so that the gospel could go forward. And he did this in two ways that John notes specifically. And by the way, that says something about the kind of encouragement that we give that we're not just like, you know, very general, but we're very specific about what they're what they're doing well. But he says this, you did this by helping other believers and you did this by assisting strangers. Now, in that context, strangers really, uh, meant uh, that is traveling teachers who would come to the church and preach. And what Gaius would do is um, he would house them in his home and um, and which is just a, because hospitality was such a at such a high value in, in, in a in a Middle Eastern culture. And then when they were leaving, he would say, hey, let me give you this your, Let me pack you a lunch and, and and give you some money for a taxi or a chariot, whatever it is that you're taking to the next town. And uh, and he would do all of that. And um and, and listen, nobody forced him to do this. He did it because he felt God leading him to do it. And there, because there's a joy that comes from generosity. And um, you know, there's there's this thing about generosity. Like beginners, we all begin somewhere. But beginners in generosity, many times will give to get blessed. Those who are mature in generosity, here's what they know: they realize that you're generous because you are blessed, and that becomes. The difference. And what happens is, for all of us, I think sometimes we teeter between, well, I'm going to be generous because I want God to do something for me, and then it's like, you know what? I'm going to be generous because God has already done so much for me. Um, last Saturday, um, I took my family to, to a restaurant for lunch, and uh, it's a restaurant I really like, and I know this sounds weird, but I go to this restaurant because of the tomatoes. Uh, and most people are like, oh, I like this sandwich. The tomatoes at this place are unbelievable. And, um, and and I don't know what they do to them, but they're just awesome. And so um, so I order my meal and I say, listen, and they're like, oh, what do you want as your side? Tomatoes. Do You want a salad? No, I want tomatoes. I want as many tomatoes as the people in the back are willing to relinquish. And um, and so anyway, my meal comes and I've got these big, thick, ripe vine tomatoes. And my daughter, Mia, who's sitting next to me, she says, Papi, I love tomatoes. And I'm like, Mia, that's nice to know. And, uh, and she says, but, but, Pompey, I love tomatoes. Maybe you can share some with me. And I said, Mia, I would be happy to. Let me cut you this little sliver and then you can just have a taste. And she says, um, and then she eats it and she says, okay, uh, more please. And I say, okay, and another little sliver. And she says, Pompey, um, maybe you can make those a little bigger. And I'm like, well, maybe just a little bit bigger. And uh, so then anyway, so... Um, all of this. And now, mind you, she asked me for some, and she doesn't like pickles. And I wanted to tell her, like, oh, they're not really tomatoes. They're just big red pickles. But I didn't. Um, and so, anyway, about three minutes later, she has eaten all of my tomatoes. I have ordered more tomatoes. They've come back. Now, Xander, my son, starts grunting because he wants to get in on the action. And when the whole thing was said and done, I had gone to this restaurant to eat tomatoes. I got one bite of tomatoes and uh, because my kids are like tomato freaks. My son who just loves they both both my kids love tomatoes that my son has a step stool. He will push the step stool up against the counter He will climb up on the counter and he will get there's a basket that we have some some fruit and stuff in And he will reach in and get a tomato and just start eating it like an apple And i'm like trying to explain to him like that's not what we do in a civilized culture, but uh, he doesn't really care and um, so the end of the day um, uh, we're putting me at a bed and and she gives me this big hug and kiss and she says poppy i love you so much this was a great day and uh and i mean it's like this awesome moment that we have and, and it's really sweet and then um carries there and uh, xander was already asleep and and she says um, and she says you know bob today really was a perfect day you know i mean could anything have made it better and i said well you know honestly one or two tomatoes could have but you know what's <laughs> What's a couple of tomatoes amongst friends? Um, but, you know, I hear what you're saying. And, uh, and, and now, now here's the point. The point is this is that you come to know Jesus, you know what happens? He makes you more loving, and in turn, the fact that you're more loving makes you more generous. Because love just compels us to do things for those that we love, to do things for God who loves us, and to do things uh, for others as well. In fact, in that great chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13 that tells us that, you know, um, you know love is patient and kind and that... Uh, you know, keeps no record of wrongs and that, you know, love believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things and love never fails. Um, in the original King James, when they were translating it from uh, Greek into English, they actually translated that, the, the agapeo, which is the, uh, the, the, the the Greek word, they didn't translate it as love in the original, they translated it as charity. But um, now it's translated love because the term charity has been changed. Uh, that charity now is like, you know... Just uh, it means a, a handout or it means giving to someone in need or something like that, but um, in uh, charity in its original definition simply means love in action And that was the the idea that the Apostle Paul wrote when he wrote first Corinthians 13 is that it's not just having like great feelings of love But that love takes a step. Love is in action. Love expresses generosity and um that's why John writes in your notes in first John chapter three, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we're of the truth and we shall assure our hearts before him. That's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel, when you know that you're changing, is moving from greed to generosity. In fact, it says this in um, this is one of my favorite passages in Second Corinthians eight. Um, it says this. Uh, but since you excel in everything. In faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's the heart of the gospel right there, that Jesus, who had everything, emptied himself and became nothing so that we might inherit everything. And that's what John essentially says to him. He says, listen, people know of your generosity. I commend you for your generosity because it's modeling who Jesus is. And look at the last part. Now he's going to talk about the heavy stuff. And here's what he says in verse nine. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deed, his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He forbids uh, he himself does not receive the brethren, but forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. And he who does good is of God and he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony among all. And from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but hope to see you shortly. And we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends. By name. Now, if you pause there, here's the last thing that I want to share with you, and then we're going to share communion together. And that is that a changed person models Jesus to others. He models Jesus to others. He doesn't demand to be first. Doesn't. It's not really. It's not always about him. Instead, he's willing to hang back. He's willing to put others first because Jesus said, "Listen, if you want to be great, be last." And here's the. Um, and that's so hard for us. Especially in this culture, when everything is about winning, everything is about being first, that the idea of allowing yourself not to win just doesn't seem to make sense. Um, I told you two weeks ago we were in Disney, uh, and the first day that we were there, we went to the Magic Kingdom, and it was an absolute nightmare. Uh, it was like, it was early March, and I mean, it was like unseasonably warm. Um, the lines were insanely long. Um, we went to, we got there and now I'll be honest with you. I'm not one of these like get up at 5am parents to get to Disney right when it opens. You know, I look down on such people. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, no, I really don't. You know, I mean, uh, some people get there at the crack of dawn. I get there around like lunchtime, you know, because my first thing when I get to Disney is like, Hey, what are we having for lunch? And so, but we get there. So we, we stroll in, you know, like 1045. Or something. And we say, oh, you know, my daughter, all she wanted to do was meet Rapunzel. That was it. We could have met Rapunzel and then driven back to Miami. She would have been fine. Um, but she, so we get there, and um, I walk up to the lady and I say, oh, you know, we're here to meet Rapunzel. And she says, oh, you see that line all the way back there? I'm like, yeah, I don't know anything about those people. And she says, uh, well, that's the line, and it's a three hour wait. And I'm like, you said, what? And uh, and she said, yeah, it's a three-hour wait for Rapunzel. And I'm like, listen, that just isn't going to happen as long as I draw breath. And, uh, and, so, and, and so anyway, she said, well, here's the thing. If you come first thing in the morning, you won't have to wait. And, uh, and I said, well, that sounds like a better strategy than three hours. So we decided to go over from, because uh, right next to the castle where the Rapunzel meet and greet is, they said, you know, but there's a, the princesses are over in Adventureland. So if you just cut across, you can go to Adventureland. And, um, you can, you know, your daughter, your kids can meet the princesses if they want. And I said, well, who's there? And they said, it's sleeping beauty, Cinderella and beauty bell. I said, perfect. Those are my daughter's three favorite princesses besides Rapunzel. So I hope that that will compensate. So we go over there and it's a 75 minute wait. Now, the weird thing is, is that normally I would have gone crazy if a 75 minute wait, but having just been told three hours, I thought I was getting a bargain. So I stand in line, I'm like, 75 minutes, I can do this standing on my head. And so I get there, and it's kind of this indoor thing, you've got to wait to meet these three uh, princesses. So we get there, it actually, the wait, was said 75, it was closer to 90 minutes. And then we're up at the front, the kids are, in, we had the two strollers, the kids are in both strollers. And then, um, like, alright, we're next. Mia didn't say anything. I'm like, that's weird. So I look over, she is asleep. And I'm like, and I'm like, Carrie, do I wake her up? We have waited 90 minutes. I said, if I have to, I will take a picture with the princesses. (laughs) You know, I am not beneath standing there with Sleeping Beauty. I'm not. It's awkward. I will admit that, but I'm not going to waste it. So she's like, listen, Bob, this isn't our day. Let's just... We're taking our lumps and let's just let's just go back to the hotel. We'll do something else and then we'll come back early in the morning and do it. And I said, well, all right. So we're walking out and there's this lady that works there. And I said, can I just talk to this lady for a second? I have a very brief conversation with the lady. And then I come back Carrie's He's like, what were you guys talking about? I'm like, oh, nothing. I'm just talking about life, you know. And uh, and so we so we leave. We get back the next day. Um, and I mean, we got there. The place wasn't even open yet. We're there. I mean, it was like Mickey pulled up. We're right behind him. You know, what I mean, right there. I mean, we were there in the beginning. And uh, so we get there. We are first in line to see Rapunzel. I mean, first people in line to see Rapunzel. We see Rapunzel. She dances with Rapunzel, you know, and Flynn. And it really was very sweet. And all these pictures and video and all that. And she just watches the video now. Like when she met Rapunzel. Anyway, it's really cute. So then we go on some rides. And once again, we're there so early. Now I know why these people are like kamikaze getting there so early. I'm like, there's nobody there. You know, all the normal people are asleep. Uh, but so, so but we get there. We go on these rides. We don't have to wait. And then um, it's getting a little later in the morning. And Carrie says, oh, why don't we go and try to meet the princesses again? So we I say, fine. So we go over to meet the princesses. It says it's a 60 minute wait. And she goes, well, let's just do it. I said, we pull in and I said, well, let me just talk to this lady uh, for a second. It was this, this lady, uh, Anna, who I'd met yesterday, um, the, the, met the day before. And I said, you know, I, this is the lady I talked to yesterday. Let me just talk to her for a minute. Well, I talked to her for a minute. I said, hey, I'm Bob. And she goes, you're Bob, right? And I said, yes, I am. And she says, uh, well, she says, follow me. And so she takes me. I had told see what happened is yesterday I had told her my story. I said, I waited 90 minutes and my daughter fell asleep. Um, and Um And I just... Is there any way that I wouldn't have to do this whole line again if I came back tomorrow? And her answer was, "When you come back, just ask for me, and I'll take you around the back." And I said, uh, "Now we're talking." And so she takes me. Uh, she takes us around the back. We don't have to wait. We're, we don't have, we bypass the hundreds of people that are waiting in line. I did feel bad a little bit, but I quickly got over it. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> And then uh, and we get there. The the three princesses spend all kinds of time with my daughter and my son. It 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 was amazing. And I told Carrie and and I said, Disney is awesome if you don't have to wait in line. Like, I I wish I could come here when it's closed and because nobody's there. But anyway, they don't allow that. Um, But but here's the thing is that um, like that's not the way life works all the time. Sometimes you do have to wait. Sometimes you don't get to be first. Sometimes you don't have like that special hookup of the person that you met who kind of brings you around the back. No, sometimes you, you, don't, you don't get to be the person in charge or you don't get to be the person who, um, who, who kind of bypasses everyone else. In this church, there was a guy who refused to play by everybody else, by, 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 the, by the rules. This guy by the name of Diotrephes. And it says this, it says that, you know, Diotrephes didn't really have a title in the church as, as much as we can tell but was constantly pushing himself to the front of the crowd because it had to be about him. And that's why John writes the Diotrephes who loves the preeminence. In fact, that phrase loves the preeminence is actually two words. Uh, that, 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 that little phrase is two Greek words. It's, the, uh, it's phileos protos in Greek. It's phileo where we get our English word phileo fish. And, uh, it's no, it's uh phileo. It's where we get our term like philanthropy or Philadelphia. It's a term that means like, uh, the term that means love and then, um, protos, which really is where we get our term, uh, prototype. So the prototype is the, is the first one. So it's a person who loves being first. And that was the story of this guy. He just loved being first. You see, John understood deatrophies. You know why he used to be him. Now think about this. Let me read you this, this last passage in, uh, Mark chapter 10. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they ask, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, first off, whenever, if somebody ever comes up to you and says, I'm going to ask you a question. No matter what it is, I want you to say yes. The, you may have a problem there. So don't agree to it, because usually it's not something like, you got a piece of gum. It's usually not something simple. Um, so Jesus doesn't answer, by the way. I think is, and then it says, they replied, which to me is hilarious. We asked a question. We replied. Um, the, the one, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other on the left in your glory. Now Jesus responds. He says, um, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Probably because they thought, man, we should have come up with that question ourselves. Um, but here's the thing. John understood deatrophies because there was a time that John would have done anything to be first. But experience taught him something that maybe. Being first wasn't everything it could have been. I wonder if that moment when when Jesus says to him, you know, son, behold, your mother. We talked about that a moment ago. And and if John remembered when he's at the cross and he says, we want to be on your right and on your left. And he's standing there and he sees one thief to the right of him and one thief to the left of him. And he says, maybe we had no idea what we were asking. You see, John is writing this letter after being exiled. To an island called Patmos. We talked about it last week. And um, because he was the leader of the church as a whole, he was the only um, apostle, the only one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus who was still alive. All of the others had been martyred, they had been killed for their faith. And uh, the only reason that he was exiled and not executed is because Domitian, who was the Roman uh, Caesar at that time, the emperor, he tried to kill John a couple of different ways, a couple of different times, and it didn't work out. Uh, history tells us that he tried to have John drowned and John drowned. And then he came back like, well, they, they held him down. Is he breathing? You no, know, he's done. And then they brought him up. You know, he's still alive. Well, the drowning didn't work. And then the next thing they did, history records That They actually had John boiled in oil and uh, that still didn't work. And so then, you know, you can imagine Domitian obviously frustrated that his torture death tax, you know, tactics didn't work. And you can imagine that I can only imagine that conversation. You know, Domitian says, you know, why is John not dead? You know, I I don't want to ever see this guy again. And then, you know, the Roman executioners are like, you know, uh, you know, we're sorry about that, boss. So, uh, you know, we're going to send him away. Don't worry about it, Caesar. We'll take care of John. You keep working on that salad idea you got going on, and we'll take care of it. And uh, apparently apparently his executioners were from Brooklyn, but that's another thing entirely. Um, and, and so, but here's the thing. <laughs> well, boss, uh, so here, here's the thing, is that John now is writing this letter. Listen, this guy has been fried, poached, and boiled. And he's saying, you know, when I get there, I'm going to talk to deatrophies. You know why? Because maybe being first isn't all it's cracked up to be. And uh, John tells Gaius, he says this. He says, listen, Diotrephes, I'm going to deal with him. Don't worry about him. I'll take care of that. You just continue to imitate what is good. You consciously imitate what is good. You know why? Because sometimes we unconsciously imitate things. We don't realize it. Uh, whenever we, this is just something that I just give my wife a hard time about, but when, whenever we go to Boston to visit my family and we'll go up for Thanksgiving or, or for the summer, or a couple weeks in the summer and uh, we'll go up there, my wife, by the time, when, however long we go, by the end of our trip, my wife has dropped her Rs and she talks like she's been in Boston for 20 years. And uh, she's like, you know, so Robert, we go to the car? And I'm like, who are you? You know, are we going to park the car at Havid I don't know if we are or not. We'll have to see how the day goes. And, uh, You know, my kids do this. Listen, my kids imitate me, drives my wife crazy uh, because they tend to imitate the wrong things that that I do. Uh, Like this morning, this is this this is like actually you're getting like real time. All right. This is like twenty four. All right. But you're getting real time stuff happening in my life. But this morning, um, uh, uh, let me just say this. My wife eats really healthy. She eats really healthy. I not as healthy and um but here's the thing that happens is that uh, like when we talk like cereal, like we go through the cereal aisle and I I buy you know my two favorite cereals are cinnamon toast crunch and apple jacks. All right, testify. And uh, and so so here's what happens. So I buy we're at the store. I buy a thing of apple jacks and I, like I eat healthy all week and then Sunday is like my sanity day or as I like to call it dieter's gone wild. Um, and uh, <laughs> I don't even know where this stuff comes from. Uh, and so and but so i i like i want it because sunday i'm going to have a bowl of apple jacks well i have already like indoctrinated my kids to love apple jacks not that it takes much it's just so delicious and so my wife on the other hand she's like why do you do this why do you buy them this stuff you know and she's like if you do it for yourself i can't control that but don't buy the kids the death cereal anymore that's what she calls it now the death cereal and uh because you know since my wife's like since she's been 7 years old She's always liked, like, old people cereal. You know, seriously. She likes, like, you know, like, all the bran flakes. Like, from the time that she was, like, 10, like, a little kid, she has checked the side of the box to find out how much fiber is in the bowl of cereal. And I'm like, who does that? That's not normal. And, um, and so, anyway, like, she's like, well, how did you pick out cereal as a kid? I'm like, easy. The picture on the box and the toy that was inside. Like everybody else. And... Um, and so anyway, so I, but I'm trying to like I'm like, all right, honey, don't worry about it. I'll fix this with the kids because I've got my son eating Apple Jacks, too, which that's the part that drives her nuts. So he's not even two and you got to eating the death cereal. And so I say to her, I, I say to Mia this morning, I say, Mia, you probably shouldn't eat Apple Jacks anymore. But mommy has this delightful cereal that's called Kashi Good Friends. And uh, I'm like, oh, it's filled with fiber and other stuff. That uh, you're going to love. So I'm going to give you some so you can try that. And her response to me was, no way. I want Apple Jacks. And then she says this. This is like the best thing ever. She goes, and Bobby, they're not good friends if they don't taste good. <laughs> That's, and I said, uh, Carrie from the mouth of babes. This is gospel truth being spoken here. And, uh, you know, <laughs> she has a quick whip. I don't know where she gets it, but she has a quick wit. And uh, but you know, but here's here, here's the last thing I want to tell you. Um, you know, John wanted to be first, wanted to torch the people. You know, who didn't. He um, became this incredibly generous generous person. And how did, how do you, how, did, how do you change? I really really it takes two things. It takes someone to imitate. Or and in, in, in maybe in, in another way that we could say it is it t- gives us uh, someone to look at to give us a picture of what the future could look like for us. But then it takes one other thing, and that is something to motivate or someone to motivate. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, he says, therefore, become imitators of God as dear children. Um. And that's why when we look at, we talk about, the Bible says that everything that's happening in our lives is to conform us, to transform us into the image of Jesus. So if you want to be a person who encourages others, just look at Jesus and model him. And that's what will happen. you to be a more generous person, look at Jesus. We read the passage. He had everything. He became nothing, so we might inherit everything. It's this, um, that we, we model him and we become like him. But... This other thing, you know, I joke around about uh, junk food and all that, but actually, since, since getting back from Thanksgiving, uh, I've actually lost about 45 pounds uh, since then. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Um, um, and, and here's the thing. This is the question that I get all the time. I get two questions. I get number one, how did you do it? And then the second question, this is the one I think is so fascinating to me, and that is why now? Like what motivated you now to do it? Because here's the thing, and this is the thing that I, I kid around like, oh, so what book did you read? I didn't read any book. So what did you do? I didn't really do. I had I had all of the information um, because here's what I know. You don't need a book to tell you that Twinkies and bacon are probably not going to get you where you need to go. All right. So you probably well, why about this 500 page book? It said something about Twinkies. It's fascinating. No, you already knew that. We are. I already knew that. Uh, right. But, but then here's what happens is that. Um, but on a more personal note, the, the why now, that to me is the question that fascinates me because it's, it's innately like we understand that it's it's a, we need a picture of the future and then we need something to prompt us to say this is why we need to do it now. Um, I have a cousin. Uh, I told you about this, uh, who I was close to, who passed away this past year. Uh, he died very unexpectedly of a heart attack. Um, he was 37 years old. Um, and he was, you know, about a year older than me and, uh, you know, him and I kind of grew up together and, um, it was very uh, hard on me and on my family and, um, and this past October I turned 37 and, um, I mean, there was really only one person I was thinking about when I turned 37 and that was him and, uh, and so and, and I went to Boston this Thanksgiving and, and you know, uh, to be with my family. And it was I mean, Thanksgiving is always fun. I mean, there's like 40 or 50 people. I mean, it's like a mob scene in our in, in our house with my 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 family up there. And, um, and it wasn't the same because he wasn't there. I mean, in so many ways, he's like he was like this larger than life kind of personality. You know, Thanksgiving uh, for uh, him was he would stand in the kitchen and uh, and there'd just be like this crowd of people around him and he would just. Make jokes and tell stories and I, who tells makes jokes and tells stories, but uh, but he does that and it was like it, people would just gravitate towards him and um, And that's the moment That's the moment that I decided That that things had to change There had to be a picture of the future, but there has there has to be something that that motivates us to say I've got to do this and I have to do it now um, Listen, you could be here this morning and you could say, you know, pastor, here's the deal. I am going through the worst season of my life right now. And, and truth be told, I have no idea why God is even allowing this to take place. Can I just share something with you? That maybe God is allowing this to take place because this is supposed to be the motivation. This is supposed to be the thing that just sparks the change. And it's not like, well, I just don't know. Maybe it's this. Maybe you know God's word enough and you know what you're supposed to do. But all these other things around you that are going wrong and these things that aren't going the way that you want it. These are the things that, that, that are t- trying to just incite you to now begin to do the right thing. Because maybe the situation that's happening is the very thing that brought you here. And if you weren't going through that, you never would have been here. You never would have heard about how God wants us to change and how we can change and that Jesus died for you the same way he died for me, the same way he died for us. And that we can experience eternal life and peace and joy and really change and become the people that God wants to be, really become the people that we ultimately want to become. But that doesn't happen apart from inviting jesus to come into our life to be our savior that's where the change begins where we say god i don't have to be first anymore i'm asking you to be first because that's the only way that life begins to make sense and so that's what brings us to the communion table it's where we remember the sacrifice of jesus and it's where we realign ourselves with god and we confess what needs to be confessed and we promise whatever needs to be promised and and um but here's, if I can, just a word of caution. Uh, we're going to pray in a moment. The band's going to come out. Um, and, and, but here's the thing. I just want to share this, this one thing. A word of caution, if I can. The Bible says this in the book of 1 Corinthians. It says that a person um, shouldn't take communion in an unworthy manner. And we say, well, what does that mean? And it goes on, but the, the idea is this. Is that to take communion in an unworthy manner is to take communion and not be a Christian. And I'm not talking about like, oh, you know, I went to church when I was a kid or my grandmother's a Christian, so that makes me one. I mean that you've made a decision to follow Jesus. You've asked Jesus to forgive you. You've invited him into your life and you're walking with him. You see, um, that. Because to, to take communion and not have made that decision. We don't really know what it is that we're commemorating what we're remembering, what these elements that we're going to have in our hand is really signifying. And so here would be my encouragement to you, is that if you're here and you're not a Christian, that you make a decision to to, to invite Jesus into your life, to ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins. As Many folks in this room have asked them to forgive Him of all of their sins. I've, I've asked them to forgive him of all, forgive me of all of mine. And of that being the case, that we would then come to the communion table And that these elements represent a Savior who died for us. And that He's not just a Savior, He's our Savior. If you say, well, I'm not ready to make that decision, that's okay. But here would be my encouragement to you, then when everybody takes communion, just let it go by. Until until you've made that decision and you're ready. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. Mark's going to come out. and. I'm going to invite then everyone to come forward to take the elements, take them back to your seat and hold on to them because we're going to partake of the elements together. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your grace, for your love, for the fact that you don't leave us as we are, but instead you allow us to change, to, mold, to be molded, shaped, developed into the people that you desire for us to be, the people that we ultimately want to become. Lord, may this time of communion be an opportunity for us to realign ourselves with you, to draw close to you, to never forget the salvation that we have, the forgiveness that we experience is simply the result of a Savior who loved so much that he was willing to give all that we might inherit everything. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says this. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broken, gave it to his disciples, and said, take, eat. This is my body. Let's partake of the bread together. It says, then he took the cup gave thanks and gave it to them and he said drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins but I say to you I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom and when they had sung a hymn they went out To the Mount of Olives. Let's partake of the cup together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for communion, for connection, for consecration. Because, Lord, our desire really is to be holy in your sight and to be whole as people. We know that only comes through a relationship with you. So thank you for this sacrifice so great, this love so indescribable, that you'd be willing to give yourself for us. In Jesus' name.